Hey, this is Evelyn Seewald. I'm a leader in the technology space. And if you're wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsas. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Hey, welcome to the show. Leadership is changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people. But everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders aren't changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey, listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world, and welcome to today's show. Listeners, if you haven't already checked out the Facebook group, Leadership is Changing, go to that group. It's a great community, and feel free to join the group, Leadership is Changing. Hey, today my guest is Evelyn Seewald, and she is a digital thought leader who has built a career in the technology sector. She has helped New Zealand companies come up with innovative solutions which have made it possible for them to compete on the world stage. Evelyn currently runs her own digital consulting business and has worked within some of New Zealand's more innovative companies, most recently for Fonterra, where she led a digital transformation to help New Zealand dairy farmers run more productive, sustainable businesses through information and technology. She believes New Zealand's technology companies can punch above their weight on the world stage, and as a female leader in a male-dominated space, she also believes that people with diverse backgrounds can contribute in amazing ways when they put their minds to it. Evelyn, hey, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Dennis. It's great to be here. Excellent. Hey, look, I've just given that brief introduction on you. Anything else you'd like to share about your background? Yeah, well... You know, I've always been a bit of a geek, Dennis, and I started out pursuing a career in computer science. But, you know, like many other females at the time, I dropped out of IT because it was far too technical and not really based in the real world. And I didn't really relate to the guys in hoodies in the lab. And um, so got a degree in marketing and quantitative analysis instead. But I couldn't really help myself, though. And my whole career has ended up being in technology. And you ended up tend to migrate to where you really feel passionate. I came to New Zealand and started with a company called the Gallagher Group, who are basically an international success story in electric fencing. And um, I remember my first day, I walked into the foyer and I was looking at the pictures on the wall, as you do, and there's a picture of a horse. And Bill Gallagher, who was the owner of the company, came up behind me, which which was um, interesting talking to this guy who's saying, yeah, that's Joe the horse. Um, he's the reason we're a company today. He kept sitting on the family car and we had to come up with a way to get him to stay off of it. And he had that glint in his eye. And I guess I got a taste of what it meant to think creatively about solving problems. And um, yeah, and that really sort of set me off on a you know very creative um, thinking 
innovative career. And, um, you know, more recently at Fonterra, you know, we were developing solutions for the dairy sector. And I think what's really important is we tend to think of technology of, as just solving, you know, small problems and getting on computer and, and, and digitizing things. But really, it's about how do we compete on a global scale? And um, New Zealand's dairy farmers aren't really just competing against themselves anymore. They're competing against, you know, the floating farms of Rotterdam, which are totally digitized. And, you know, we really can't compete with a paper notebook anymore. And, you know, so how do we actually lift the capability of, um, of our whole dairy sector? So at the moment, I'm also working on a project, you know, looking to help small businesses um, lift their capability in the digital space for the same reason. Like, how do we actually really create that capability um, in our businesses? Yeah, and I'll, I am Canadian, but I've spent most of my career in New Zealand. And, uh, you know, I do get a real buzz of, you know, seeing us create solutions that you really wouldn't expect to come out of a small island in the South Pacific, and um, you know, kind of like the All Blacks, if Kiwis believe they're the best, um, you know, they forget the odds and just go out and do it. Yeah, and and, and I think that's a fantastic thing that you know, as you say, a lot of Kiwis do do that and go out onto that global stage and punch above their weight, which is fantastic. I was wondering when you said Canada, because you said before that you, when you came to New Zealand or to Auckland, I was thinking, oh, where you come from? So how long ago did you move from Canada to New Zealand? Many years ago, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> just a so, while ago yeah. Uh, yeah so I arrived in the early 90s um and uh-huh. yeah a really really interesting time in New Zealand um you know I came as a backpacker and met a Kiwi and I'm still here today yeah well that's fantastic excellent hey so um what I got for you is uh, some questions that I'm going to ask you as I ask my guests and the question I've got for you is how did you get into leadership always been a bit of a go-getter, I guess. And I started um, probably early on um, in my career when I was promoted, you know, probably within the first year of being at Gallagher's. And it was an interesting situation because all of my peers were now people who were reporting to me. And I guess I had to re-earn their respect, you know, so people who, why should they treat me as a leader um, or as, you know, as I was their manager, but, you know, you don't want to just be a manager. You still really want to make an impact. I had to, I guess, earn their trust and learn to bring something different to the table. And I think that was, you know, that's where I, I guess, really started enjoying that whole leadership conversation. I had to bring something different. You know, at the same time, I couldn't be a jerk and put myself ahead of where they were. Some of them knew a lot more than I did. And, um, you know, I had to recognize that and also figure out how we would work together to get the best out of things. You know, I had my role to play and they had theirs. And probably taught me really early on the importance of staying connected at a grassroots level and also not being afraid of surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you. That's always sort of been something I've challenged myself with. And I've worked with some of the, you know, smartest techies around that, you know, have taught me things and whether that's from a technical or leadership perspective. And I think um, it's something we should challenge ourselves as leaders. As leadership is changing, how do we actually tap into some of the smartest minds in the room? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because some people actually feel threatened by smarter minds. And I think what you just said there is 
a successful leader will be very smart in actually making sure that they engage those people and allow them to to fly and do what they do really well and bring their A game and and enable that. Absolutely. And you know, and we do learn from it, right? It's, I think it's a good thing. And I, I like what you're saying about staying connected at the grassroots level, which is really good. So Evelyn, you mentioned something before about competing on a global stage. So what's one or two things that you think that people should do as a leader to lead on a global stage? I think the key thing is not being afraid to really put your ideas out there. I think we all kind of feel like we don't have something to say and you know whether that's imposter syndrome or just thinking others are smarter than us. The more creative ideas that are out there, the more opportunity there is for them to come to life. And I think, you know, as leaders, it's almost an obligation or a responsibility to step up and put our ideas out there. Yeah, excellent. So, team, if don't be afraid, you know, be bold, be have the courage to actually put your ideas out there and stand up and do that. Mm-hmm. See where it goes. Who knows where it's going to go? So, Evelyn, I'm sure you've got many, but I'm going to actually ask you, who is your favorite leader? Now, this person can be alive or from history. So who's your one favorite leader and why? Well, in the tech space, there are so many innovative leaders. So I think this is a very tough question, Dennis. But if I'm going to pick one, it would have to be Melinda Gates. Mm. Her and Bill's foundation have done in eradicating polio and the approach they took using data. I mean, they completely modeled the world and looked at where they needed to be. Um, and it was simply extraordinary. But I think Melinda Gates, she's also you know, a real role model for females in technology, which was you know, really important for me. And um, I had the good fortune of hearing her speak live once. And I really related to a story she told about you know, working in a male-dominated IT team you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, and how she tried to be like the males in the room in her approach to leadership. And it just wasn't her. And so she decided to be herself and take an empathetic, um, you know, more inclusive style to leadership. And, you know, she just really absolutely took off from there and everyone wanted to be part of her team. And I think, um, you know, it's a really bold move to, to tap into your own personal leadership style and what works for you. And she's also incredibly committed to increasing diversity in technology. You know, we're coming to an age in artificial intelligence where, you know, we are setting the stage for how technology is going to work for us for time to come, that's for sure. And we run at a risk of it being really heavily biased if it's only going to be coded by, you know, a slither of the population. So she's really, really focused on how do we think about different ways of attracting people into technology? How do we get them to learn differently? And how do we actually find them? And yeah, so I just think she's um, a real genuine person and, you know, a real role model. And she, she was definitely a role model for me. As hard as it is, that's the person that I would have to pick, Dennis. <laughs> yeah, very good. And, you know, and, I, and I like what you say about her. She was trying to be like, others in the room but then she decided to be herself and I think that's really quite cool Mm -hmm. where you actually bring your personality to it to the table be who you'll be because I think there's a lot of leaders out there trying to be something that they're not yeah and they wear like a mask and uh, if I could put it that way I don't mean a pandemic mask I mean a mask whereby they're actually hiding behind and they're not actually bringing their own way out or their own personality out which is I think really cool 
Because as you just said, when she did, everyone wanted to be part of her team. Absolutely. I think that's awesome as well. Yeah, very good. So the show is called Leadership is Changing, and as you mentioned before. So when I say that that name, that title, what does that mean for you? Leadership is changing. I mean, it's changing like everything else. And um, I think it's really, you know, I have a picture in my mind of the traditional leader. Um, We tend to think of that person who gets up on stage, you know, probably the technology. It's probably the Larry Ellison's from Oracle or the Steve Jobs of Apple. And, you know, they give an awesome inspirational speech in an auditorium and then everyone else, everyone goes out and um, they're blown away and they want to do great things. I think leadership has been, has become more about connecting with people more dynamically. Things are changing too quickly to keep having those auditorium style leadership speeches. It needs to happen in real time. And I think what we're seeing um, is yes, we still need to inspire and provide vision and um, on all of those things haven't really changed. But how we actually lead in the moment, I think, is becoming much more important. Um, I think people are looking for connection and how do they role model their own behavior um, in a really fast-paced world? How do we make decisions and therefore how should they make decisions? How do we deal with ambiguity and change? How do we challenge boundaries and do we listen to them as individuals? So I think that real need to connect and inspire at a grassroots level, I think, is where we're really seeing that change happening. Wow. Connect and inspire at the grassroots level. Excellent. And I, the, the bit that you talked about, the dynamic side around connecting dynamically, do you think technology is going to actually help a lot of leaders and enable them to do that? And if so, how? Yeah, I mean, the tools are hard to keep up with, you know, <laughs> in terms of the tools that you can, uh, yeah. <laughs> whether you're on Slack or um, WhatsApp or Zoom or, you know, the, the tools are just coming thick and fast. And I think, you know, COVID certainly brought out um, a whole new way of working and connecting. And I think technology technology helps, but I think fundamentally you still have to make the effort to connect are you consciously connecting? Are you having the right conversations? All of that hasn't changed, right? Technology is just an enabler to do it in a different way. Um, I still think we need to you know, role model behavior and connect in a way that others can see. And um, whether they see that through technological technology platform or in person, I think um, the, the fundamentals are still the same. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so many tools out there and it's quite overwhelming to see. And I just say to people, well, it doesn't matter which one you choose. In fact, just choose one, that's will right. you? And then mm-hmm. get on with it. That's number one. But number two is if you do, going back to what you just said, make sure you do connect. The fundamentals are still there. You still need to be the leader. You just can't hide behind the tool. In fact, I think the tool allows you to have a bigger global footprint or a global reach a lot easier and quicker and uh, which is great, but it's still, and I think it actually probably emphasizes leadership more um, for a lot as well. So yeah, yeah it's, it's pretty interesting. Hmm. <laughs> so how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you? Um, well, technology by its very nature, and you know, as we've just been discussing, all of these tools that are available, the ways that we can connect, I mean, technology by its very nature is all about change. But I think the speed of change is what's changing. Mm. 
you know, innovation's happening faster than ever before. And artificial intelligence alone is going to allow businesses and consumers to do things we haven't even thought of, you know, in the next little while. And we're also seeing changes in the way that we work. And I think um, in my space, you know, the, the whole gig economy workers is just the way that it goes. And, you know, my own personal journey, I've switched from being in a, in a corporate to gig and you know, that need to be able to switch between different styles of, of working, I think, is um, really changing. And in my space and in, in the technology space, you used to have, you know, the guys in the basement or the guys on the third floor who, you know, the IT guys, generally you don't say IT girls because there weren't a lot of IT girls, but, you know, the IT team, you know, they had all the answers. You went to them if you had a problem and they came up with a solution. That's no longer the way technology works. Like everyone has an opinion or view or a capability in technology. So a lot of it's as well about, um, you know, how you how you move away from having rules like IT's got to do it to a much more, um, you know, dynamic environment where you've got guardrails that people can work within. And that requires clear instructions or direction on what you can and can't do. I think there's also been a shift away from just in general, not just in my space, but away from hierarchy, mm. you know, much more matrix teams delivering and whether that's um, hierarchy or flatter structures within businesses or the way that we work across businesses I think that's really changed so you know for me as a leader I'm not just leading the people who report to me I'm providing a vision and trying to inspire the partners who are delivering things the you know contractors who have come in and you know trying to get them to be as equally passionate um, about what I'm trying to achieve, um, I guess, as, as I am about something. And, you know, some of my contractors have been more passionate than, than my own team at times. And, you know, we kind of sort of think that, um, you know, that traditional, you know, you're an IT contractor, you come in, you're told what to do, you get on with it and you go. Mm. Those times are, are long gone. Everyone has to get in behind and be part of a team. And, and, and as leaders, it's our job, I think, to to provide much more distributed inspiration and leadership. And you know what? I, I think you're right because the matrix thing is really interesting because, as you just said, there are a whole lot of people that are coming in to work maybe on a project, on an initiative, on a work stream. It doesn't matter what it is. The important thing here is, as the leader, a lot of these people are not reporting into you directly, so you have to be more influential. You That's have right. to, as you said in your words, inspire them and and so I think it's really quite different because the older days were, well, you reported into me, I've got the title of manager and you shall do as I say. And nowadays it's totally mm. different. You've got matrix teams, people have got dollar lines into you. You're having to be more influential, more visionary, which is great. The other thing is set the vision and then get the heck out of the way and let them get on with it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Get people who are much smarter than you and they have no problem doing that once they know what they have to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much so. So, Evelyn, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what would it be? So, if there's one thing I would change, it's the way that companies trust their people to be more involved in the change discussion. 
So trust gets mentioned a lot. And, you know, this week Deloitte put out some reports on the importance of trust as a future differentiator in management and leadership. But when we think about trust, we tend to think about, you know, customers trusting us as a company, mm-hmm. staff trusting us as leaders. But we don't actually talk much about leaders trusting staff. And what I mean by that is that we, you know, anyone who's, um, you know, been in a corporate will have been through their fair share of restructures. And it's always, uh, we're doing something big and we'll tell you when it's done. And, um, you know, we tend to be afraid to take the risk to trust people to be involved in shaping the discussion and what that future could look like for them. Because, you know, they've all got really, really good ideas. And why are we not tapping into that brain's trust? I learned a really important lesson early on when I was leading the device team at Vodafone. And it became really clear that we need to outsource our warehouse. Vodafone wasn't into warehousing. They were into, you know, selling airtime and all of that. And we were falling behind in our ability to deliver phones to customers. That was just how it went. And so we were going to outsource and it was going to take us seven months. And I got two pieces of advice, I guess, around how to approach it. And, you know, one was don't say anything until we're a lot closer and we can de-risk this because everyone's going to leave or they're going to sabotage things or whatever. I'm glad I took the other piece of advice, which was I was transparent early on. And it was really hard. It was a really tough conversation. But you know what? The, the, the whole team knew that that was coming. They work in that space. They're passionate about that space. They can see it coming. So, mm. um, so I guess really I took an approach of and a real risk. I have to say it was probably one of the riskiest things I've done from a leadership perspective is telling them just before Christmas when, you know, 40% of the, of the, the year sales kind of fly out the door. Um, of losing people, but um, they really valued being part of shaping what their own future could look like. And, um, you know, they all stayed with me right to the end. The day that we went live, I got two calls. One was from Tim Miles, who was the CEO of Vodafone at the time, you know, to congratulate me and tell me that, um, you know, I'd done a great job. And the other call was from one of the warehouse managers, and he was one of those people who was very economical with his words. He was highly respected, you know, had that, you know, what we call in New Zealand, the mana or the, 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 the respect of the people around him and the team. And he said three words. He said, you did good. <laughs> and, you know, to this day, I don't know which of those two calls I appreciated mm. most. But, um, yeah, so I guess really an answer to your question real trust in people you know we kind of think that they can handle it but you know if we tell them the tough tough stuff um but man they've really got something to contribute in their own future so cool that i mean that's a great example and i like what you say tap into the brain's trust because people aren't dumb they they do know what's coming they actually can see it coming as well and as you say if they've got some great input that's fantastic even though that they know it could affect them I've been working with some organizations of late in particular, and we're talking about change and resilience and things like that. And it's quite interesting whereby we talk about what makes change successful and what it makes it fail, right? And one of the things that they talk about is 
the communication, obviously, and knowing what's going on. But the other one that's been really quite interesting is to hear from the participants say, actually, I would love to have more input into the change. That's right. Now, we know that every country has different employment laws and processes and things like that as well. Get that. But what they're saying is exactly what you've just said and exactly what you've done. And that is, we would love to have input into this because we've got a lot to think about too. We know that this might impact us, and it probably will. But the thing at the end of the day is that we'll probably buy into it more because we've given input into it rather than it being done to us. That's right. And if you think about the pace of change, don't you want to have people coming along with you and input and be more engaged um, as we, you know, have to constantly change. You know, this is it's not one-off events that happen. Yeah, I think so. And, um, but, you know, there's a lot of leaders out there who don't want to do that. You know, there will be times where you just can't. you just got to go and do what you need to go and do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we get that as well. Mm-hmm. But I think it's quite smart if they could do that. So based on what you just shared there, the, the next question I've got is employees and, you know, for a lot of employees nowadays, you and I have been an employee before, mm-hmm. got your own business, I've got my own business. How has employee expectations of leaders changed? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And there are, you know, there's there's a lot of things that haven't changed. I think leaders um, still play a real important role around providing that inspiration and vision, the sense of direction, creating the space for people to get on and do great things. But I think what has changed is employees are starting to hold their leaders to account more. Mm. You know, if you kind of see what happened at Facebook recently, Facebook um, has had a lot of pressure from the market and, um, you know, in the media to, um, you know, change the way they they deal with social responsibility. And um, I think some of the greatest pressure came from their own teams, you know, when their own teams walked out and said, we're not standing for this and you need, you as leaders of Facebook need to change. And I think that probably epitomizes, you know, even what I've experienced where social media and digital and the way that we operate today, millennials, Gen Z, they have to feel connected and proud, I suppose, of the of the brands that they're representing. And even for us, you know, I mean, we always used to say that, you know, would you be proud to, you know, say who you're working for at the Christmas barbecue? And I think it's just amplified in the last um, generation. We no longer just do our jobs. And that's fundamentally, you know, that we have the discussion around diversity. It's about, you know, bringing your whole self to work. And I'm not going to do that if I really don't see you making good decisions or things that I can align with. So I think that whole employees are really just holding leaders to account yeah. more. I think the other thing I wanted to tap in, you know, as a leader, you've also got to, uh, I think we're we're seeing us look at how we can harness diversity. And I think our, our teams are expecting us to do that now. And diversity is, I guess, really, you know, we talk about age and we talk about gender and we talk about, um, you know, ethnic diversity, but there's probably also style diversity. And in the tech space, I think that's, uh, you know, a really interesting thing because you get all these um, these stereotypical engineers or developers who people think just come to work and they cut some code and then they bugger off. But, you know, there's some of the most passionate people I know and, You'll you'll see them gathering around and talking about how they print 3D printer parts for their 3D printers. 
the passion that comes out of those discussions, you just really wouldn't expect in that engineering or developer community. And I think we, you know, they're expecting to be able to have those conversations at work as well and and really connect with teams. And I think as leaders, you know, we have an obligation almost to make it possible for that to happen. Oh, that's awesome. Now, great things being shared here by Evelyn. So excellent. Well done. That's so exciting about that, what you've just shared around employers and uh, employees actually are holding people, leaders to account more and some great examples. Hey, well, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? You know, we talk about fast pace and change and adaptability. And I was trying to think about, um, you know, what's a really important ingredient in there? And I think it's our ability to deal with ambiguity. Not only just dealing with it, but, you know, creating clarity in that ambiguity for people around us. And, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but when's the last time you had all the information you needed to make a decision? You just don't get that luxury in the tech world. So it's, uh, you know, how much information do you need to make the right decision at the time? And how are you communicating the way that you made that decision? Yeah. And um, I think as well, ambiguity also means sometimes you don't know the answer as a leader. And um, people are looking for you for, you know, the answer. And it's like the, the typical, that's the traditional leadership role that we played. You know, you know the answer to everything. Well, sometimes you just don't, especially when things are changing so quickly. I think clarity sometimes comes not from having the answer, but from people seeing how you're thinking about how to get to the answer. You know, sometimes is all that's required. And I think more and more that's what's making leaders successful and saying, I don't know the answer. This is how I'm approaching it. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, there's a trap, what you just shared there, because I find a lot of leaders might say, hey, I don't know the answer. The trap is two twofold. One is sometimes they don't know the answer, so they try and make it up. And as we said mm-hmm. before, people aren't dumb, and they can see right through a leader who is making it up, so that's wrong. So don't do it. That's if right. you don't know, say you don't mm. know, and I'm going to come back to you once I do. But there's the other trap. They don't go back and then they lose trust and credibility and so forth. So do what you say you're going to do is really important. And I think that it's really, really quite interesting how the ambiguity is one thing. I think as well, Evelyn, is that with ambiguity, there's that unknown and so forth. And sometimes we do need to make decisions, but a lot of leaders don't make decisions. And then they just freeze and it's like, come on, Mm. make a decision at least and we can get on with it. And do we need to adjust? Possibly. But, you know, who knows? And I think if we're deliberate in our decision-making, that's really key. But then ambiguity is the thing that we have to try and handle, as you say. So if you can have the ability to deal with ambiguity, that's a really, really good thing. Yeah. I think you've touched on a really important thing, like the the ambiguity. A lot of people are afraid to make decisions. And, you know, in a lot of corporates, there's – I know it's a terrible thing to say, but – you know, the, uh, no one ever got fired for not making a decision um, is, um, you know, just really easy to fall mm. into the trap of. It's a much, dif- much more difficult. And this is kind of probably where, you know, what makes a leader successful today. It is the ability to, you know, make decisions in the face of ambiguity. But also, you know, and like I say, just providing the clarity for people around how you're going to work your way through it. Yeah. And don't be a bystander. That's right. If you're a leader who's you know, do something about it. I mean, gosh, I mean, as you said before, 
people are looking for to you for your leadership and so forth. And so, yeah, I think it's really important. So, Evelyn, I'm going to get you to get your crystal ball out now, and I'm going to ask you this question, which is, where do you see leadership in the next five years? Well, a year ago, who would have thought that <laughs> um, most of the world's corporate resources would be working from home? So, um, yeah. Yep. So let me so let me get my crystal ball out. And five years from now, um, you know, technology and COVID have really changed the way that um, that we work and the way that we connect. And you mentioned it before. You know, the the technologies makes it easier. You can certainly respond in a pandemic in a, in a way that we never would have been able to do before. But there's some things that are going to stay the same. We still need to connect and connection at a personal level. Yep. I mean, I, I was um, listening to this podcast um, the other day and they're talking about how now wearables are going to be able to track your heartbeat and transfer that heartbeat to someone else remotely so they can actually not just connect with you verbally, but through, you know, devices. Um, so how are things going to change? We, we, we still really want to connect. It's just how we connect, I think, that's going to be different. And I think that whole gig economy, less hierarchy, much more matrix, much quicker, more responsive leadership more responsive organizational change as well, I think are all things that we're just, if we don't deal with with those things, we're just not going to be, you know, change fit or match fit for the future. And I think as well, it's also as leaders of today, how are we cultivating the leaders of tomorrow? So in five years, who are our leaders going to be? And how are, what are we doing right now to role model for the leaders in that future state, you know, whether that's um, how you behave and how you create space and how you make decisions and so on in a diverse world as well. How do I, as a, you know, even as a female role model, what's my role? I never really sort of used to buy into that whole, Mm. you know, female and play the female card, but um, people are looking for diverse leaders that they can role model on. And um, I think for us today, it's how we recognize the role that we play in that. I remember a project manager came up to me once, female project manager, said, you know, I was looking at you and another female program manager from across the room. And I was really proud um, of how you were standing up in that whole leadership team you know, the role that we play in making or providing those reference points for people to be leaders in the future, I think, is, is something that we need to think about. Crystal ball aside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fantastic stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Hey, Evelyn, thank you for joining us on today's show. If our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where should they go? Probably the best place is on LinkedIn. I'm Evelyn Seawald on LinkedIn. So please do feel free to connect with me. I'd love to hear what other leaders are thinking out there. Yeah, fantastic. Well, once again, hey, thank you for joining us on the show. I really, really enjoy talking to you about uh, Leadership is Changing. Same here. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Hey, listeners, look out for the episodes as they've been released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Share them with your family, your friends, your network. Hey, if there's any feedback that you'd like to give me on the show, then please send me an email. If there's any questions you'd like me to ask my guests as I interview them, if you have a question for Dennis on the Ask Dennis episode, send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. 
Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure having you on our show, and thanks for joining on today's episode. So until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 